Teachings that do not speak of pain have no meaning, because humankind cannot gain anything without first giving something in return. In alchemy, to obtain something, something of equal value must be lost. This is Equivalent Exchange. Welcome to Equivalent Exchange, a podcast about Fullmetal Alchemist by Hiromu Arakawa. I'm Kayla. I'm Ellen. And I'm Kazum. Today we're discussing chapters 81 through 83. Woo! Right? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Woo! Woo. Yeah, <laughs> My note says 71 to 83. I don't think that's right. I saw that. Oh, I was like, no. That's really long. <laughs> 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 uh, but first, a quick reminder about our uh, crossover episode we just did. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so on the 16th, this is coming out a couple days um, later, but on June 16th, I don't know what day, I'm not counting. <clears throat> the 19th? The 19th? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I did the math, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, a couple days ago, on June 16th, we did a crossover episode where we guest hosted on an episode of the podcast Full Metal Analyst. I think we talked about this two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we talked about it in episode 35, according to my notes that I'm reading right now. Mm-hmm. 37. Is... Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of math right now. <laughs> I know. I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> but that episode has come out. So, if you want to hear us talk about and it covered all the con- all the content we read so far. You mm-hmm. won't be spoiled if you've read everything for this episode. Then you can go yep. back and watch that episode of um, of Fumuraka's Brotherhood. Or you can just listen to us gab with them about what happened and then put the pieces together for yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Actually, basically, it was it covered this content, all almost all of this content. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. almost entirely this and then, like, a little bit of an earlier chapter. So, I think yeah, the... nothing that'll spoil mm-hmm. you. Yeah, nothing that'll spoil you and very close to what we've just been reading. So mm-hmm. you should definitely go listen to this. I will put links. I put links in the show description for last week, but I'll put links in the show description this week as well. You should definitely go listen to them and check out their podcast, mm-hmm. especially if you want to listen to or if you want to watch um, Full Alchemist Brotherhood, you can listen along uh, with them. Mm-hmm. You can hear mm-hmm. us argue with them, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Good time. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that ends my announcement. <laughs> yeah. Good job. Thus ends the announcement. We did a lot more math than I anticipated. (laughs) And by math, we mean basic arithmetic. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like two plus two. (laughs) Guys, I'm degreed. Why are you laughing at me? Yeah. We all have have college degrees in this podcast. You couldn't tell from that last bit, but... (laughs) Well, none of us have degrees in math, so... Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Anyway... (laughs) All right. Uh, so yeah, on this episode of our podcast, we're going to be doing uh, our math? typical uh, yes, math. <laughs> Welcome to the math cast. Oh no, <laughs> I definitely didn't study for that. Oh, bird! Now you want to make noise oh, too? <laughs> it's the screaming void. Mm-hmm. See, <laughs> You're right. that it does, does fit. It You're does right. sound yeah. like the void. <laughs> so yeah, we're going to be doing our uh, summary recap and then discussing for our chapters eighty-one, eighty-two, and eighty-three. Ooh. That's what I expected. Yay. <laughs> That's good. You're yeah. like, wait a minute. <laughs> I read chapter 95. No, no. <laughs> no spoilers. Oh, yeah. We officially got into the point in the manga where I haven't read past here because that's what we needed to read for, <laughs> for oh, yeah, the yeah, yeah. episode we guest hosted yeah. in because we recorded it a while ago. And now mm-hmm. I don't know what happens after this. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So gear up for more uh, raw Ellen reactions. <laughs> Just. <laughs> Me texting you in the middle of the night from reading with just a scream emoji. Yes. <laughs> so chapter 81 picks up right where we left off last time with the unexpected reunion in Lior. 
Al Winry and Hohenheim all stare at each other in surprise. Al and Winry both recall the figure in the family photo that's been hanging in Panako's house for years, while Hohenheim recognizes the antique armor from his study. <laughs> <laughs> Al is slightly offended by this. <laughs> I mean, it's reasonable. He doesn't know yeah. what happens. He knows what happens yeah. to Al, but he doesn't know that he's in the armor. <laughs> I enjoyed this that little scene, though. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that, because you kind of forget that it's like they did it in his study, so it would have been mm-hmm. something he owned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that misunderstanding out of the way, they hesitantly begin to talk to each other, with all the awkwardness one would expect between a father and the son he hasn't seen in over ten years, who's also now a soul in a suit of armor. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that episode of Maury. <laughs> <laughs> I'm prepared to interrupt you every time we stop to take a breath today. Are you ready? I mean, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, it's just because I keep writing these hilarious jokes, so. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> You're like, I know the way to stop you. What's two plus two? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like the entire rest of the episodes, you go, uh. uh. <laughs> <laughs> they both confirm this information with each other. Then Al nervously starts to say, um, dad? Then a couple of Lior townspeople wander over and interrupt, asking if Hohenheim is free to help them with some rebuilding work. He agrees and tells Al that they'll talk more later. When the Lior people realize that that was Hohenheim's son, they ask if he shouldn't stay and talk with him instead. Well, it's just that I left home and abandoned him years ago, so I'm sure he doesn't think of me as his father, Hohenheim says with an awkward smile. And the truth is, I don't know what to say to him. Back by the restaurant counter, the restaurant owner points out the radio that Al fixed at the beginning of the series, commenting that it's been working great since then. Since then, Al repeats, I'm sorry, it's because we started trouble with Cornello that your town was destroyed. The restaurant guy waves him off. Don't worry about it. I know it must be hard seeing the town like this, but the truth is, you guys exposed a great injustice. It was the right thing to do. At least I think so. Al glances over at Rose, who smiles at him, then clenches his fist and determinedly states that he's going to help with the rebuilding. He dashes off, telling a slightly confused Winry to try and keep a low profile, and then calls out, Dad, I want to work too. Hohenheim looks surprised, then smiles happily as he begins working beside his son. Joso and Zampano watch this, then decide they're going to help out too, dragging along a reluctant yogi. (laughs) Winry, left behind, stands there awkwardly for a moment, until she turns to see Rose looking at her with an eager, sparkly-eyed expression. (laughs) You need some place to stay on the down low, right? Leave it to me. Come on, let's go, she says, dragging Winry (laughs) off. They both literally get dra- dragged away, which is great. <laughs> yeah. And it's like the same way she got dragged away by uh, Hughes way back in <laughs> oh, right, the yeah. series. <laughs> I like that the restaurant owner waves them off with a little handkerchief. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rose takes Winry to her home, where she starts digging through her closet for some more weather-appropriate non-Briggs clothing for her to borrow. Winry, meanwhile, gratefully enjoys the first hot bath she's had in quite a while and thinks how nice Rose is. One of the ducks has an eye patch, which is amazing. One of the rubber duckies on the oh. yeah, tub. I'm oh, sorry. Yeah. Go on. I was looking at that and I was like, oh my God, in my head while you were being serious. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Rose brings a change of clothes and sets it outside the door, then tells Winry that she really admires her for being on her own and working as an engineer at such a young age. You made Ed's leg, right? She asks. Winry confirms that she did, then spirals briefly into silent worry over Ed's current unknown situation. I wonder if Ed's all right. I wonder if he's still missing. I wonder if he's been able to take a hot bath lately. That's amazing, Rose says, jolting her out of it. So that means you're literally the person who helped Ed get back on his feet. Indirectly, you helped me get back on my feet, too. Winry, you saved the person who saved me. 
After Winry is out of the tub and dressed, Rosé makes some tea and explains what she meant, about her desperation that led her to believing so strongly in Cornello and the idea of Lido, and her despair after it all collapsed. How did you recover from that? Winry asks. Ed scolded me and told me to walk on my own two legs. Winry sighs over the fact that Ed is always like that, but Rosé laughs and says she's glad he did it. The townspeople and I were finally able to open our eyes to the truth. Maybe the riots happened because we thought that believing in miracles would make our lives easier and didn't bother to think on our own. But this time we're going to revive this town with our own hands. No more miracles, just good old-fashioned hard work. Winry stares as Rosé looks out the window onto her rebuilding town with a smile. We really do appreciate what Ed and Al did for us, she continues. After all, if we had continued to live under that delusion, we might well have ended up being a mindless army of soldiers with no fear of death. That transitions us, of course, to the creepy secret doll army chamber underneath Central. <laughs> <clears throat> like every city has. Right. <laughs> so the mindless soldiers with no fear of death, you mean? <laughs> yeah, those. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I, I've been to the, the Toronto um, mindless, like, homunculus army chamber. What are you even talking about? <laughs> There's, like, a line and everything. <laughs> yeah, you gotta book your, you gotta book your tickets in advance yeah they have like parties in there on the weekend and stuff it's a protected historic site <laughs> when you say they have parties in there are they saying that you and like they invite you or the the mindless dolls having a party <laughs> no i meant that, a... that creepy army that's creating them hosts mm. parties in there so people okay. get accustomed to them nice. <laughs> i'm just making a reference to like cities having stupid warehouses where they have parties and stuff like <laughs> but maybe the dolls have parties i don't know <laughs> just imagine them having like tea parties with little hats and doll like dresses <laughs> i'm just imagining them like mindlessly dancing like, yeah that's what i was thinking it's like a doing, club like thriller like arm a... movements <laughs> yeah exactly it's really loud um it's kind of like the the party at the beginning of like blade or whatever where they're all just <laughs> or like in uh which one the uh, <laughs> the Matrix, is it three? Two or three? They're having this, it opens with this crazy rave they're having in the place where, does anyone know what I'm talking about? Have you guys seen The Matrix? Uh, my confession is I've never seen a Matrix movie, so I can't help Oh, you. wow. <laughs> I, I mean, have, I just don't remember. There's one where they have this crazy part, it opens with this huge like rave they're having in Zion. I can't mm -hmm. remember which part, but it's basically like, you know, like strobe lighty, heavy yeah. party that's what i imagine they're doing <laughs> <laughs> that's my headcanon <laughs> olivier now past the initial shock of the horrific sight has stepped forward to tap at one of the lifeless creatures which does not move these aren't human she says are they dolls sir the other officer says that they are and that souls will be transferred into these vessels to create soldiers whether their arm is ripped off or their head is blown apart, they will continue to fight and obey our every command. These are perfect soldiers that have no fear of death. May I ask you something, sir? Olivier says. Where will you obtain the supply of souls to be transferred? From the people in the countries we've conquered, or will conquer, the battlefield becomes a hunting ground for us to obtain a large number of souls. Elsewhere, one of the soldiers who's been pursuing Izumi Curtis reports their lack of success to his superior, who's unimpressed with the excuse that she hasn't returned from traveling, and even the employee at her shop doesn't know where she went. Bring her here no matter what it takes. We at Central City will give you whatever aid you require. The soldier promises to keep looking, but also wonders why. Why are we putting so much effort into locating this ordinary housewife? 
His superior merely tells him that it's not something he needs to know and dismisses him. Down in the tunnels under Central, Beto wanders around, looking completely lost and wondering if maybe following those military guys who took Greed away wasn't such a good idea. He squeezes his way through some pipes into another section of the tunnels, then pauses as he catches a strange scent. This turns out to be the smell of the many guard chimeras roaming Father's domain. They attack, leaping for the terrified Beto, then stop as they catch his scent, recognizing him as one of their own kind. They wander away, leaving Beto alone. He trembles in fear for a moment, then takes off running. Central is scary. There's no way Mr. Greed is here. Not a chance. I'm getting out of here. <laughs> he desperately runs and climbs and squirms through the tunnels, looking for a way out, and eventually finds himself in the creepy doll army chamber, which understandably freaks him out even more. There are so many of those things hanging up here. It looks like a human body farm, he says anxiously, almost in tears from his experiences today. Sort of reminds me of that lab where they turned us into chimeras. He wanders a bit further, then finds, sort of, what he's looking for. Greed, though in a body unfamiliar to him. Back in Lior, Al starts to talk to Hohenheim about the tunnel being dug under a mistress, but Hohenheim stops him and says they should talk somewhere with less people, so they move off to an empty alleyway. Al explains about the nationwide transmutation circle and how they're trying to figure out a way to stop it from being activated, and how finding Hohenheim here in Lior was a surprise, but a lucky one. Why? Hohenheim asks. Because in the underground passageways beneath Central City, I saw someone that looked exactly like you. Since he's obviously somehow connected to you, I thought maybe you'd know the identity of that man, and I wanted to ask you about it when I saw you again. Are you sure, Alphonse? Hohenheim says. What if I'm on their side? You've told me a lot already. Didn't you consider the possibility that I might reveal everything you've told me to them? Al looks uncertain for a moment, but then Hohenheim smiles and taps his knuckles against Al's chestplate. Thanks for trusting me. You've made my day. He keeps smiling to himself, thinking what a good boy Al is, then his expression grows serious. I think it's high time I put the same trust in my sons and tell them everything, he thinks to himself. Out loud, he says, I have a long story to tell you, and I want Ed to hear it as well. Oh, Al says, I meant to tell you this earlier, but Big Brother's missing right now. He's what? Elsewhere, someone enters a branch of the National Bank and sets down a silver pocket watch. Enters a branch of Bank Bank, according to the uh, <laughs> illustration. I, I think it says Bank's Bank. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I want to make a withdrawal from Edward Elric's research account, he says. The teller looks up and sees not Edward, but Darius. Are you the account holder, sir? She asks him. No, I'm here in his place, but I brought a letter of authorization with his signature. The teller hands him a form to fill out for the withdrawal, then passes back all the authorization, along with the requested money. Once Darius leaves, the teller shares a significant look with another employee, who picks up the phone and dials out. Hello, I'm calling from Bank of Amestris, North Area Branch. There's a withdrawal from State Alchemist Edward Elric's account just now. Someone came in his place. The man begins to describe Darius, and we transition to where Darius went, a small clinic in town, where he plunks down all the money, griping that it's a rip-off. The old doctor couple happily count out the money, commenting that it's a pretty fair deal since they're also being paid to keep quiet and not ask any questions. Heinkel, standing nearby, glances out the window and spots a group of soldiers in the street below. Hey, Darius, the military's on to us, he says. By the time the soldiers come knocking, everyone has moved into position. The one doctor wraps bandages around Heinkel's arm, who they claim is their only patient, except for one recovering in the back room. There they find Darius lying in one of the beds. He innocently asks what's wrong, and the soldiers seem convinced by this, until one of them recognizes Darius from the description given by the bank employee. 
The soldier draws his gun and holds it on Darius. Don't move. Slowly take your hands out from under the blanket, he orders. Darius grips his unseen gun and doesn't move. In the front room, Heinkel also reaches for a hidden weapon. Do it now. Let's see those hands, the soldier shouts. Everyone tenses, ready to jump into action. But before anyone moves, the boy arrives from down the hall, carrying a bag of groceries. Huh? What are soldiers doing here? He asks the one standing guard outside. We're looking for someone, the soldier answers, and pulls out a paper with a description of the suspicious person in question. Let's see. He's got a red coat, long blonde hair, usually kept in a braid. Very short. A loud thump echoes through the clinic from out in the hallway. <laughs> one of the soldiers rushes out to find the guard has been knocked unconscious. Who did this to you? He cries. And then another loud thump sounds, and his strangled cry reaches the last remaining soldier. <laughs> he panics, trying to figure out what's going on while still keeping his gun trained on Darius. But as he calls to his men who do not answer, a metal hand suddenly bursts through the wall beside him. It grabs him up in a chokehold, then lets him slump to the ground as he falls unconscious. <laughs> well, I'll be. He took them all by himself, Darius comments, taking in the scene. He walks over to the door and calls out, Don't be so reckless. You're still recovering, remember? Don't treat me like I'm sick, Ed says, grocery still in hand. He clenches his fist fiercely and insists, I've made a full recovery. And that's the end of chapter 81. Oh, yeah, he's back. <laughs> he did it. Yeah, he's back, and he knocked out three soldiers. Yeah, while carrying groceries. Yes, and eating a kebab. <laughs> yeah, like when they're like, he's short, and it's like snap. The kebab like yeah. snaps. <laughs> <laughs> Chapter eighty-two picks up in the immediate aftermath of the brawl in the clinic. Darius, Heinkel, and Ed thank the doctors and prepare to make their way out of there. Ed, who currently has his hair down and is wearing a tattered tan jacket notes that since they're looking for him with a braid and red coat, he should keep this look for a while. Before they can get too far, the soldier's backup arrives and shout for them to freeze and drop their weapons. Our group pauses for a moment. Then Darius and Heinkel snatch Ed up and hold a gun to his head, dramatically and hilariously pretending to take him hostage as they make their escape. <laughs> the doctors also get in on the act, throwing themselves at the soldiers and thanking them profusely for coming to the rescue against these villains, which distracts them long enough for our group to get outside. They quickly hijack a car from the poor rich bystander couple and take off down the road. I love how it's like, he made me check out my brand new set of wheels. She's like, so cool. Take me for a ride, please. <laughs> and then they hijack the car from them. Yeah. They're like the same couple who showed up in like Rush Valley also. Like, um, I think they show up in the funny. background a couple times, <laughs> usually before something happens to them. Unfortunately for them, the soldiers are immediately in pursuit in their own vehicles, and being northern troops, they're much better at driving on the snow and ice. As they start to gain, Ed suddenly tells Darius to take a turn down a side street and quickly make a U-turn. Darius gripes, but obeys. I don't know what you're up to, but here goes. The soldiers turn to follow them down the side street, but the car they were pursuing is gone, and the soldiers don't take any notice of the truly tacky vehicle parked nearby. <laughs> <laughs> Inside, Darius and Heinkel are impressed that the trick worked, but immediately beg Ed to change the car into something more normal. <laughs> he's like, why? Yeah, he's yeah. like, it's so cool, though. <laughs> yeah. It's got, like, a drill in the front or something. Yeah. It looks ridiculous. It has and a giant mouth. Yeah. As they make their way out of town, they ask Ed where they should go next, and Ed frowns in thought, trying to think where Al would have gone. Back in Lior, Hohenheim has just finished telling his life story to Al, who stares at him wordlessly for long enough that Hohenheim assumes he doesn't believe him. Al remarks that you'd have to be pretty crazy to believe something like that, especially coming from the father he's just been reunited with for the first time in ten years. Hohenheim sighs. I guess you're right. But, Al continues, apparently I'm one of the insane ones. 
It's like someone once told me, in this world, nothing is impossible. Hohenheim is surprised by this, and Al admits that maybe it's easier to accept because of how unusual his own situation is. He pauses for a moment, then asks, Hey, what's it like to never die? What's it like, Hohenheim says. This body has its perks, but it hurts so much to see friends die while I never get a day older. In return, Al admits his own mixed feelings about his own body. I, I don't like being the only one who's awake at night. Hohenheim shares a sympathetic smile with his son, then Al brings up a few other things that make more sense now, like old photos in Panako's house where Hohenheim looks exactly the same as he does now, and that Panako said he'd been her drinking buddy for a long time. But when old people her age say a long time, they don't mean just 10 or 20 years. Hohenheim says that that's true. He's known Panako for over 50 years now. In fact, she was the one to introduce him to Tricia, and they fell in love right away. His expression falters, and he looks down. In the end... Even Trisha passed away before me. Al has no response to that, and he lets the awkward silence settle over them for a bit, before finally, hesitantly, bringing up the obvious question. So, Dad, don't take this the wrong way, but if your body is a philosopher's stone, does that mean... I mean, our big brother and I? You want to know whether you're a normal human being because your father is a philosopher's stone. Is that what you're asking? Don't worry. My soul may have been fused with a philosopher's stone through the process of deconstruction and reconstruction, but at the core, I'm still a human being. But that guy in Central City, he's an imitation human disguised in living flesh. Oh, him. I almost forgot. Al digs out a handful of pages and notes on everything they've been working on lately, regarding the nationwide transmutation circle and the reversal circle from Scar's brother's research. Hohenheim looks through the notes, impressed, but when Al suggests destroying the tunnel to stop it from happening, he quickly shuts down that idea. A powerful homunculus named Pride is down there. Al frets that they have to do something to stop them completing the circle, and Hohenheim calmly says that it may already be finished. Then how can you be so relaxed? Because it's not that day yet, Hohenheim says. And when this just confuses Al, he points toward the sky. Stop looking down all the time and look up. That's where you'll find your answer. He's waiting for the promised day. Back underground in Central, Beto is now running for his life to escape the man he doesn't know is greed. What's that guy's problem? What did I ever do to him? He wonders frantically, trying to keep ahead of the eagerly pursuing homunculus. Greed uses his shielded hand to crash through the pipes Beto is running along, sending him crashing to the floor. He approaches with a grin. I like it when they put up a fight, he says. Guarding the tunnels is so boring. That's why it's great when guys like you come along. Beto is quick to recognize some familiar traits of his old friend. That skin, he says, watching as Greed's ultimate shield retracts. That cocky attitude, that condescending laugh. Who do you think you are, imitating Mr. Greed like that? Imitating, Greed says. You're looking at the genuine article. Y your Greed? Beto stutters, confused. In the flesh, Greed says. He starts in his catchphrase about wanting money, women, power, everything, and is surprised when Beto joins in and finishes the line with him. It can't be, Beto says. But what's going on? Who are you? Greed says with a frown. Then a blurred memory flashes through his mind, and he puts a hand to his head, frowning deeper. Beto continues to babble, asking if it really is Greed and why he looks like he does, and Greed more forcefully asks who he is. It's me, Beto, remember? From the Devil's Nest. Don't tell me you've forgotten your friend's face. Greed's eyes light up with apparent recognition. Yeah, yeah, that's right, we were friends. Beto smiles eagerly. Do you remember me now? 
But then Greed suddenly stabs his hand through Beto's chest, a cold expression on his face. Sorry, I think that's the old Greed you're talking about. I don't know you. Beto clutches at Greed's jacket, tears welling in his eyes as he begins to bleed out. But, Mr. Greed, he says weakly, we're friends. And he falls to the floor, motionless. It's my job to keep out the vermin. Nothing personal, Greed says coolly. The flash of memory comes again, and Greed looks down at his hands, confused to find them shaking. What the? he mutters. The memory pushes in stronger, clearer now, a glimpse of old friends, Roa, Dolcetto, and Martel. Greed falls to his knees, trembling, looking in physical pain. His confusion and discomfort give Ling's presence a chance to push through, and he's pretty unimpressed with Greed. Hey, hey, what a lowlife you've become, he scolds. I've seen some dirty deeds in Sheen, but killing your own friend in cold blood? That's pretty low. That wasn't a friend, Greed grits out, but more memories flood through him, and he clutches at his head. Those are the memories of the old Greed, not mine. Then why are you in such pain, Ling demands. Get a hold of yourself. If you let your guard down, my soul is going to take this body back. Greed continues to try and insist that this is wrong, even as he trembles in agony. Father purified me. He got rid of the old Greed's memories. Those memories aren't a part of me anymore. You can't erase the truth, Ling snaps, his soul slamming forcefully against Greed's. Friendship isn't something you can just forget. It's a bond between souls, and that's something you can never wipe away. Greed, you turned your back on your real family, your kindred spirits. You gave them up. That's why you're not worthy of being called Greed, the selfish bastard who will stop at nothing to get what he wants. Ling's words and the pain of the memories rushing back becomes too much, and Greed cradles Beetle's body and screams his agony toward the sky. A little later, the Fuhrer and his family are having a nice night in at the Fuhrer's estate, when an alarming series of sounds come from out in the hallway. The door creaks open, and Greed steps in, looking unwell as he drags one of Bradley's guards behind him. Mrs. Bradley barely has time to react to the strange man in her home, before Greed suddenly leaps forward, his shielded claws clashing against the blade Bradley is quickly drawn to block him. "'What's happening to me, Wrath?' Greed demands. "'It won't go away. These memories, they won't go away. My head feels like it's going to explode.' The memories continue to rush in, his Devil's Nest crew meeting their grisly end, Bradley wielding his swords against them. And you, Greed snarls, you're there too, King Bradley. What did you do to my guys? From Mrs. Bradley's protective embrace, Salem's expression grows dark, and the shadows at his feet begin to move. Bradley scowls at his attacker. Greed, you should have left the past where it belongs, dead and buried. They continue to struggle with each other, and Mrs. Bradley holds Salem protectively and backs away. Her hip bumps the table, sending a teacup clattering to the ground, which breaks Greed's focus. Bradley lunges forward, and Greed just barely escapes the strike. They range across the room as Bradley puts on the pressure, until he finally swings for Greed's neck. Greed shields just in time, and the sword shatters against him. Greed glares. His memories of falling to Bradley the first time blend with Ling's memories of fighting him while protecting Lanfon. He grimaces and leaps away, crashing through the window and running. Bradley watches him leave as guards burst into the room, frantically asking if Bradley and his family are okay and apologizing for being unable to fend off the attacker. Salem withdraws his shadows, and Bradley calmly says, Don't worry about it. He was very skilled. Already far from the city center, Greed struggles to maintain control as he makes for the edge of town. Outside the city, Ed has led Darius and Heinkel back to the empty shack where they once kept the captured gluttony. Ed explains how it's a hideout they've used before, and that he doubts the homunculi would expect them to come back to it. He knows how his brother thinks, and Al is sure to be there. 
They enter the very much empty cabin, and Darius smacks that <laughs> in annoyance. There's nobody here. <laughs> the Khmer soldiers gripe that they hurried all this way for nothing. But then Heinkel's sharp nose picks up a strange scent, and he motions for everyone to be quiet and turn out their lantern. To add surprise, the intruder is Greed, who walks in with unsteady steps, then stumbles to the floor. Ling, Ed calls, running forward. W wait, which is it? Greed? So hungry, he groans, then turns to smile up at Ed. I'm saved. I never thought I'd run into friends in a place like this. It's Ling, Ed sighs. <laughs> <laughs> That's the end of chapter 82. <laughs> chapter 83 picks up with Ling eating everyone out of house and home, as usual. <laughs> <laughs> there go all our emergency provisions, Heinkel sighs, as Darius sadly shakes the empty bag. <laughs> Ed introduces his new Chimera buddies to Ling, who cheerfully tells them that he's a homunculus. Darius and Heinkel obviously have some questions here, but Ed just vaguely says that it's a long story and turns his attention back to Ling. What are you doing here? He asks. Ling starts to explain how Greed broke off from the other homunculi, and he took advantage of his confusion to take control of his body back, then came out here looking for a place to hide near Central. Before he can get the whole story out, though, he begins to tremble and clutches at his head. Greed is coming back. Ed helpfully tries to encourage Ling to keep fighting by bonking him on the head a few times, but Ling irritably swats him away and quickly tries to pass on some important knowledge. Listen, Ed, their so-called father that we met beneath Central City will open the portal on the promised day. This is just a hunch, but maybe if you and your brother jump into that portal, you'll be able to regain your original bodies. Ed is startled, then horrified by this news. Wait a sec. That might be true, but a toll is required to open the portal. Why is he opening the portal? This promise day, do you know when it is? Ling starts to answer, but Greed's presence is beginning to assert itself more strongly. With his last few moments in the driver's seat, Ling asks Ed if he gave his message to Lanfan. It takes Ed a moment to remember the message written on the scrap of cloth, but he quickly lets Ling know that Al gave it to her, and that she's safe for now, though he doesn't know exactly where she is. Ling smiles with relief. Good, I'm glad, he says, before Greed finally wins the struggle for control again. He scowls. Damn it, that Sheen Prince doesn't know when to keep his mouth shut. Heinkel quickly draws his gun, but Greed just waves him off. Don't bother, old man. You can't kill me with that, he says, then heads for the door with a casual wave over his shoulder. See you around, kid. Ed is startled by this and asks if Greed is really just going to let them go. Didn't the prince tell you? I split from Team Homunculus. All these memories came back. I attacked Bradley. Must have lost my mind. Do you honestly think I'd go crawling back there after that? I'm cut off. From now on, I'm just looking out for number one. Greed turns to leave again, but then Ed steps forward and asks, Do you want to be allies? Greed stops and turns to stare at him. If you have nowhere to go, you should come with us, Ed continues. Greed points out the obvious, that he's a homunculus, but Ed waves that off, saying that his other two companions are chimeras. Ed then gets slightly distracted by the fact that he's the only normal human here right now, and he bickers with Darius and Heinkel for a bit about if he's overstepping by inviting Greed without asking them. Greed starts laughing as they talk. Everything in this world is mine, he says with a sneer. The only way I'll join you is if you agree to be my henchman. And with another wave, he heads out of the cabin and into the night. Are we just going to let him go? Darius and Heinkel ask. He might change his mind and tell the enemy about our plans. But Ed, frowning slightly, just says, Don't worry, he never lies. He puts a hand to his chin, looking thoughtful as he considers Ling's words about the promised day. Outside, Greed is feeling a little philosophical. I wonder why, he says to himself. There are so many souls inside me, but ever since my memory got confused, I felt so empty. I'm all alone. 
Then why don't you join with Ed and the others, Ling suggests from within. Or if you're just going to stand around and mope, then you should give me back this body. I'll take us back to Sheen and become emperor. Then you'll be rid of that feeling of emptiness. Lord of a country, huh? Greed says. Pretty grand, right? Ha! Screw that. You're still thinking small, Greed says, to Ling's annoyance. If we're going to do that, why not shoot for lord of the entire world instead? Before Greed gets any farther with these plans, a voice calls out, Hey Ling, wait up! And he turns to see Ed and the others running over to him. You again. What do you want? And I already told you, my name is Greed. Yeah, yeah, I don't care if you're Greed or Ling. I'll call you Greedling. <laughs> Greed's not a fan of that, but Ed interrupts his protest by saying, I'll be your henchman. He adds that that makes Darius and Heinkel henchmen too, which is apparently news to them as they start beating up Ed for volunteering their services like that. <laughs> <laughs> but Ed persists. The moment I decided to become a dog of the military, I gave up any pride that I may have had anyway. At this point, it's no big deal for me to sit up and wag my tail. Plus, I can't afford to be swept away by my emotions and let this chance slip through my fingers, can I? It's a golden opportunity. Ed and Greed stare each other down for a moment. Then Greed begins to laugh. Interesting. I accept. Being my henchman means you'll have to live in the shadows. Are you sure you won't regret it? Don't insult me. My whole life's been a lesson of regret, Ed says, while Darius behind him seems to question why that's something to be proud of. <laughs> Greed points to the chimeras and says that they're his henchmen now too, and they both just sigh. All right, whatever. I don't care who we follow as long as I get fed. <laughs> the chimeras start explaining their special animal powers to their new boss, while Ed takes a step back and puts his hand in his pocket, remembering something. I still have Winry's earrings, he thinks to himself, looking down at them in his hand. He frowns and clenches his fist. Live in the shadows, huh? I guess I won't be seeing Alan Winry for a while, then. The next morning sees us at the Armstrong Mansion, where Olivier has apparently decided to visit her parents after all. Although it may not be the most friendly visit, she immediately says, You should retire, father. <laughs> Have you come home after all this time just to tell me that, Olivier? She shrugs. I'm merely suggesting that you make me the head of this family so that you can spend your remaining days in leisure. I plan to make Alex the head of the family after me, her father says, and Olivier scoffs. That coward? That would only tarnish the Armstrong family name. Why not leave everything to me and take a vacation abroad? Before the Armstrong patriarch can answer, Alex himself arrives and enters the room. Sister, you've returned home, he says in surprise. If you'd told me that you were coming, I would have. Ah, Alex, you're just in time, their father interrupts. Battle your sister. Alex Hans and what's along as their father announces <laughs> that he'll make whoever wins the head of the family, and Olivier agrees, standing and readying her sword. Olivier has asked me to retire and go away, their father explains to him. Sister, what a rude thing to say to father. Alex tears off his shirt and dons his gauntlets. <laughs> it's required. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> then I agree. I will battle you with all my heart, soul, and muscle. Bring it on, Alex. You'll see the depth of your inexperience. As the two begin to fight and cause substantial property damage, <laughs> their father, mother, and younger sister Catherine all calmly pack and discuss where they should go for their vacation. They decide on Sheen, since the food is supposed to be delicious, and with Catherine turning to wave and wish her brother good luck in the fight, they head off. <laughs> <laughs> the Armstrongs are great. <laughs> I know. Mm -hmm. I like how they're just like, well, sounds good. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> Not long after that, Olivier sheaths her sword, standing above the defeated Alex in their now heavily damaged home. <laughs> the Armstrong family inheritance is now mine, she declares, turning and striding away. Alex starts to struggle to his feet and calls out, Sis, is it true? Have you allied yourself with high command? How could you? Those people, they're... 
I've seen the situation with my own eyes and have made my decision, is all she says. And is it because of what you saw that you sent father and the others abroad so they couldn't be made hostages? Olivier smiles to herself. Get out, coward, she says. This house is now mine. Back in Dublin, Mason is again fending off soldiers bugging him at the butcher shop to try and find Izumi. When Mrs. Izumi gets back, I'll call you. I'm running this store all by myself right now, and if you guys keep showing up, I can't do my job. He enters the phone and starts talking to a customer as the soldiers sigh and finally leave. Mason snarks at them to maybe buy something next time. <laughs> then, once they're gone, he says into the phone, Sorry about that. Those guys from the military were here just now. Oh, that's right. I have a message from Alphonse and a man named Hohenheim. On the other end of the line, somewhere up north, Sig replies, I see. That sounds serious. Promise stay, huh? And in the snowy wilderness around Fort Briggs, a group of Briggs soldiers frantically flee from an attacker and try to contact their base. We're under attack, one soldier cries when he gets through. Is it Drachma? I don't know. How many of them are there? Just one. Just one? Who the hell is it? <laughs> the attacker breaks through the bunker and looms over the soldier on the radio, who falls silent with terror. Checkpoint P, respond, the voice on the radio calls. Who is your attacker? The attacker grins. I'm a housewife, she says. <laughs> <laughs> I love her, like, glowing eyes. Yeah. Well. <laughs> a little later, Miles and Buccaneer hurry through the fort to meet the now-captured attacker, lamenting that this is exactly like what happened 20 years ago, and that Major General Armstrong is going to kill them when she gets back. They enter the holding cells and stand in front of the one where Azumi now sits. Well, if it isn't the Ishvalan officer with dark glasses and sideburns and the big guy with the mohawk, she says cheerfully. You both look exactly as described. I've been waiting for you guys to appear. Who the hell are you? Miles asks. She smiles. I'm just a housewife that was passing by. Oh, and I brought you a message from Al. It's private, you know. We need to talk about the promised day. Buccaneer passes that message on to Fallman, who calls Lieutenant General Grumman. My, 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 the promise day. That's perfect. Things are getting interesting, the old general says with a grin. From there, he passes things on, in a very questionable way, to a soldier <laughs> under his command, Rebecca, who is friends with Riza Hawkeye. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, Kayla verbalized my complaints so well. <laughs> Rebecca takes a trip to Central to visit her old friend, and they go out shopping together, discussing how the joint training between North and East has been postponed and moved to the East region after that border skirmish with Drachma. They take a break for coffee, and Rebecca laments her dating prospects out east and demands Risa introduce her to a nice guy in Central. She hands over Black Hayate, who is, to be fair, the goodest boy in Central. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and Rebecca hugs the dog tight and cries that he has such a cruel owner. They head to the train station after that, and Risa sees her friend off. Oh, say hi to Lieutenant Havoc for me, Rebecca calls out as she boards her train. As Risa waves goodbye, she notices a note has been tucked into Black Hayate's collar. Say hi to Lieutenant Havoc, huh? She says, discreetly tucking it away. It's still early. Maybe I should pay him a visit. At the hospital, Havoc tells Riza that they're planning to move him to a hospital closer to his family back east once his condition is a little more stable. Really? It'll be lonely around here without you. I wish I would have brought you a proper gift. She reaches into her bag and pulls out a pack of cigarettes. But only one a day, okay? Havoc takes the pack eagerly and starts opening it up while Riza prepares to leave. She tells him that Rebecca said hi, and he asks her if she's seen the colonel lately. No, I spoke to him briefly in the cafeteria. That's about it. If the colonel comes here, tell him I said hello. I sure will, Havoc promises as she heads out the door. When the sound of her footsteps down the hall has faded away, Havoc pulls open the curtain around the hospital bed next to him. 
Hear that, Colonel? Maybe she knew you were here. You didn't need to hide, sir. Roy says that they're both being watched by the higher-ups, so it's best to avoid meeting in private to keep suspicions down. Havoc, having just lit up his first cigarette, doesn't seem to be paying attention to him. He does offer Roy a smoke, though, which he starts to automatically refuse. Oh, come on, sir. This one's got your name on it, Havoc insists, offering up the rolled-up note hidden among the cigarettes. All right, Roy says, taking it. I'll have just one, for old time's sake. Outside the hospital, Roy looks up to the sky, noting that it started to get cold in Central City. He pulls the note from his pocket and begins to read it. After the year ends and the next season comes, on the promised day, the North and the East will make their move. We get glimpses of all our major players, preparing and looking determined, and at the very end of the chapter we get our title card, The Promised Day. That's the end of chapter 83. Woo! Yay! Yeah. Yay! Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Chapter 83 has the title card at the end rather than the beginning, so it's kind of hard to tell where... Chapter 82 ends and 83 begins in the mm -hmm. uh, volume. <laughs> yes, I was impressed. I got to the end and I was like, oh, wait, that was the end. Because <laughs> yeah. mm. <laughs> it also just, like, is the same scene. Like, it starts mm -hmm. with the scene where Ling is there, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It makes sense. Yeah, it, like, ends with Ling collapsing and then <laughs> it opens with him having with eaten, eaten all their food. Eating. Yes. <laughs> mm -hmm. Classic Ling style. Classic Ling. <laughs> I was like, hey, it's Ling. Nice to see you. Love Ed being like, is it is it Ling or Greed? And then he, and then he's like, I'm so hungry. And he's like, it's Ling. It's Ling. <laughs> <laughs> I like how annoyed uh, Heinkel and Darius are. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> they're like, who said you could sign us up for this? And then later they're like, meh. <laughs> yeah, resign there. They're just like, whatever. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> well, they've been like babysitting Ed for who knows how long, basically, during his recovery. So, mm -hmm. you know, I guess they're on board now. Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of nice. I mean, we talked about going to Lior last time, but it was nice that we had, like, a full, full, like, well, Al, Al went back to Lior this time. Yeah. So that continued, I guess. I like that we get that conversation with Winry and Rosé. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's another one of those things, kind of like the one with uh, Winry and Riza in the flashback chapter, where it's like it would be easy to just not do that, but... It's nice to have yeah. those characters talking mm -hmm. to each other. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think it's nice, too, because it's someone giving Winry some external validation, which is nice. Because, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. you know, she was all like, I don't know. I feel like uh, the scene where all the people from the shop called her and stuff and wanted her to come back, it's like kind of building on that, too, for her yeah. character growth. Yeah. That, like, by helping someone, she helped other people and stuff mm -hmm. so it's nice yeah especially since like it could have so easily been like a jealousy thing in a different story but mm -hmm. yeah it's like no they respect each other they're chums yeah <laughs> i like that rose is met. very carefully considering what clothes one you should have yeah <laughs> mm -hmm. it's like oh you gotta you gotta like you just has to be something that's like not notice not showy and you gotta be able to like move around in it <laughs> it's like mm -hmm. nice doesn't stand out I thought that was nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you could make yeah. it a jealousy thing. I mean, Al teased her, but yeah, I don't think Rosé really cares. She's just like, oh, I was hoping Ed would come. More because, um, like, I don't think it's like a love triangle thing. I think it's just because yeah. he helped her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we joked about that a long time ago, about how he was like, get up and start walking. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I like how Wonder is like, I can't believe he said that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but mm -hmm. it did help her in the end. So Yeah. Yeah, in my summary, I specifically wrote, like, 
when we saw is that he's always like that, and I capitalized yeah. like that. <laughs> like like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we talked sometimes about how like alchemy isn't perfect or mad like fixes everything or whatever and sometimes mm-hmm. causes more problems and I kind of like that Rose specifically says that they're rebuilding all the town. Like she said no more miracles, just old fashioned hard work. So mm-hmm. I think we kind of see like how I think it's kind of a comment on like, you know, like maybe like technology and things changing like things those kinds of things that seem like magic aren't always necessarily good Mm -hmm. and necessarily Mm -hmm. helpful and sometimes it's just like you just people doing things is is for the best themselves you know Mm -hmm. i remember uh i think it's come up a couple times but the one i remember most is azumi saying how you know alchemy isn't just like you shouldn't use alchemy for everything you know Mm -hmm. um you need to to you know do things on your own and things like that and i feel like that's sort of what's going on here is they're they're building the town on their own not really relying on alchemy even though they have two accomplished alchemists by their side Mm -hmm. helping and things like that and you know Mm -hmm. it's uh it's a sentiment worth there's a word for what i'm trying to say (laughs) it's valuable yeah there you go (laughs) is that it (laughs) something like that that. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i like how they transition away from rose being like oh we would have become just a mind a mindless army of soldiers with no fear of death into the Mm -hmm. uh the creepy homunculus army Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. makes sense i mean basically that's what the that's what the you know like the army that's what the homunculi and stuff were, were trying to do like turn them on each other Mm-hmm. so that there yeah. would be bloodshed there right yeah 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 and that had been like that's kind of set up from the very beginning because like back in those uh first leor chapters it's like that was cornell's goal is he was like i'm mm-hmm. gonna make these people into like my mindless army. fanatics who will fight to the death mm-hmm. for me with no fear mm-hmm. yeah that's true mm-hmm. but like h- creepy homunculi underground are so creepy mm-hmm. yeah the i don't get why they have mouths is it just to be creepy do they have to breathe <laughs> All the better to chop so you with. <laughs> uncanny. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. I think they they ultimately are going human, so they work as humans. They don't have they eyes. Just... They don't need eyes. They have <laughs> a eye, don't they? I don't know. Do they? Is it? You think that's they've an got eye? like a little tattooy homunculus looking a... thing? Yeah. Uh, yes, they have something. Mm-hmm. Maybe they will have eyes <laughs> when they have souls. When they're full of souls, <laughs> <laughs> just full of souls. So full of souls. <laughs> <laughs> it's really creepy how. The dude from Central is like, yeah, they'll just keep fighting, even if their arms are chopped off or whatever. It's like, Ugh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's also creepy how he says the battlefield becomes a hunting ground for us to obtain a large number of souls. It's mm-hmm. like, oh. Mm-hmm. It's pretty awful. Yeah. Yeah. I like the Olivier also just casually t- touches them. I'd be like, ew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, that cause like kind poke, of like, poke. yeah. It has this like talk talk sound effect or something, mm-hmm. so <laughs> almost like knocking on it, like it's hard. I don't know. Mm-hmm. We kind of talked about. Um, I think we talked about it when you were doing the summary, but I like when Al and Hohenheim meet, mm-hmm. and they're mm-hmm. like, um, <laughs> one of them is like, "You're the armor from my collection." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so sad how Hohenheim is like. I just don't know what to say to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The whole part um, where he's talking, he tells Al the whole story about what he is. It's so sad. Where he's he's like, "Thanks for trusting me. 
also um he's like in the end even trisha passed away before me it's just so sad yeah and al is like what's it like to never die and all this stuff Mm -hmm. we definitely talked many times about the trade-offs of being immortal and Mm -hmm. i think hohenheim's Mm -hmm. character is used to show some of those bad things same with like al like al being like i don't like being the only one who's awake at night and hohenheim Mm -hmm. like gives him some some sympathy that Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love um, the, the cute little moments where he's like, he's so happy that like, Al just runs over and is like, hey, dad, I don't want to work too. Mm-hmm. After he's sick, I'm sure he mm-hmm. doesn't consider me a father. And then, mm-hmm. yeah. And like, how happy is that Al trusted him and stuff? He's and so believed sweet. him. Mm-hmm. 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 I mean, we saw him talk with Pinaco a while back. And I mean, I that's his closest friend, I think, that, um, you know, he's known for years, but I feel like he wasn't able to be as open as he was with Al. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's nice, you know, for him to have someone that he can sort of really be open with and, and, and you know, talk to like a family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he specifically said to Pinaco, like, I'm glad you never, like, questioned me or something after all these years. So, like, I don't think she knows the full story, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something like that. And, mm-hmm. like, that he's never, yeah. he's never changed in all that time or whatever. Yeah. yeah. I also like that it's, like, He's sort of like, it's like, like, my sons deserve to, like, hear the truth from me. Like, he's not trying to keep mm-hmm. it hidden anymore. Like, mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. he, like, wanted to tell Ed, too, but he's not there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, eventually he'll get the chance, I'm sure, and Ed will punch him straight in the face yes. first. Then, then, <laughs> then he'll be able to tell him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Al got what he wanted. He finally got to, like, talk to his father, which is nice, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ask him questions and stuff. Yep. I like that um, Hohenheim says in that conversation that father is an imitation human being disguised in living flesh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he also gives him the hint that they're, he's waiting for the promised day. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, you don't got to look underground all the time. Look up in the sky or whatever. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess he's waiting for some special moment in time. That's what's implied. Yeah. yeah. After the end of the year or whatever, according mm-hmm. to this. So did we talk about how the transmutation circle, you mentioned it specifically in some at some point in this uh in your in the um summary in the recap but the transmutation circle that they found in scars brothers notes is like a transmutation circle of reversal Mm -hmm. which he specifically said like it undoes things hohenheim recognizes that it's a transmutation circle of reversal i guess which is interesting Mm -hmm. based on the notes and the drawings and stuff Maybe he just calls it a circle of reversal, but it's the same word, like turnabout. Who's <laughs> your yeah. circle? Yakuten no Renseijin. <laughs> the transmutation circle? Yeah. Turnabout transmutation circle. Circle? <laughs> the court case for the transmutation circle. <laughs> I could see that being a court case in Phoenix, right? So Yeah. <laughs> He's put a parrot on the witness stand and defended an orca whale, so, yeah. <laughs> like, so, par for the course. That's yes. what I'm hearing. One little small thing about uh, Lior before we, that I, or, like, that I liked was that Al kind of, like, apologized for causing a bunch of problems to the restaurant guy, but mm-hmm. he was like, mm-hmm. no, you exposed a great injustice. Mm-hmm. And he, like, recognized the value of that, even though it cost him a lot of problems, so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was nice. Mm-hmm. Al said that the place had been on his mind, so maybe that yeah. was part of it. Oh, and I like that everybody was helping and that the the Camaros made Yoki help, which was nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. He's like, but food. 
They're like, it'll taste better after a, a good day's work or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I enjoyed, we talked about it briefly, but I enjoyed Ed transmuting the car during the getaway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, like, I mean, we should talk about the getaway, but there's not that much to talk about. We already, actually, we kind of talked about it during the actual, um, during the recap. scene, during the recap, because, yeah. like, the funny, I feel like for me, the funny parts were when Ed comes back and he's, they're like, oh, we're looking for a short. He's mm-hmm. described as being short or whatever, and then he beats up yeah. all three of them single-handedly, which is pretty great. Mm-hmm. I also <laughs> love, like, Darius and Heinkel's, like, villain faces as they pretend to take Ed hostage. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. just, like, sitting there. <laughs> like, looking annoyed, moderately annoyed. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, like, the doctors are like, thanks, thank you for saving us, and, like, grabbing onto their coats and stuff, too. Yeah. <laughs> Distra- distracting them, which is pretty yeah. funny. And Ed's, like, eating snacks the whole time. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Like at the end, he's like, "I made a full recovery mm-hmm. with snacks in mouth." Yes, <laughs> just the car is so tacky, and they're like, "Turn it back," and he's like, "Why?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, change it. I'm begging you. <laughs> yeah, please. They're, and they also are like, "Make it, make it something less conspicuous, please." <laughs> <laughs> Although I feel like the the drivers were looking for the one car, but they didn't. They didn't think about the conspic like clearly conspicuous other yeah. crazy car. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess they don't know about uh, all of Ed's powers and tacky aesthetics. So. Yeah. <laughs> they just know he's got long hair and a braid and is short. <laughs> I like how they're like, oh, lo- usually wears long hair and a braid and a red coat. And then it's like they didn't describe anything else about him. And so he <laughs> can just walk up with his hair down and then suddenly they, c- they can't tell it's him. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, to be fair, he's had pretty much one look the entire mm-hmm. series. You think they'd describe him as yeah. like having long blonde hair and gold eyes or something, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Things that don't mm-hmm. change. Yeah. Another to be fair, it's like people make fun of the whole like Superman like puts on his glasses and no one recognizes him thing. Mm-hmm. But it's like, it actually is kind of true for people. It's like really hard to recognize people out of the context you're used to seeing them in. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I definitely it's like if someone is like them. in a different outfit, like a different kind of clothing than you're used to, like if you're used to seeing them in a uniform and they're in casual clothes and stuff, mm-hmm. you'd be like, "Who is that? They seem a little familiar." But... <laughs> Can we talk about Beto? Yes. <laughs> yeah, for Beto. Oh, I was so sad when Beto died. I was like, mm-hmm. "Not Beto. Yeah. He didn't deserve this." <laughs> Just a cute little lizard guy trying to he find was his friend. So... <laughs> yeah. He was so scared being in the tunnels. <laughs> like the Chimeras left him alone. They're like, oh, he's a weird, weird half animal thing like us. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's so sad when uh, like Greedling stabs him and he's like, but, but Mr. Greed, we're friends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So sad. I didn't think I would care that much about Beto. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I definitely didn't have as a uh, high opinion of him when we first met him. You know, he's okay, but, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was indifferent. Of course, of course. Now I'm yeah. emotionally attached and saddened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> the last survivor of the Devil's Nest crew. I gone. know. He was the only one. He's mm-hmm. been alone for so long, and then he found greed. But it wasn't greed. But then it was. But it was. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, like, really enjoyed Ling sassing him from the soul void. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can't just wipe it away. It's a bond between spirits. Friendship mm-hmm. is a bond between spirits. Yeah. And he like headbutts Greed's soul. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
I think actually this might have been the point where I started really, really liking Ling. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were a couple of other moments where, but but I, f- I find him so fascinating where he's a very passive character. He's kind of just inside watching what Greed's doing mm. and can pretty much communicate to Greed and very occasionally to other people. And like, it's a very strong character, I think, that does very little. Mm. I like it. It's interesting. It's cool. Uh, it's well done. Mm-hmm. And... um his his points are very they hit home mm. what i appreciate about ling is his like loyalty and how much he recognizes that like and how how kind of like strong he is in standing up for himself and, and other people mm-hmm. i actually mm-hmm. like that there's that part of the memory where greed remembers being killed by wrath and also kind of blends with his memory of ling ling's memory of fighting wrath mm-hmm. like almost mm-hmm. like he has this newfound determination to go against wrath it's almost like i guess like ling's memories ling kind of makes greed better it's kind of interesting mm-hmm. <laughs> right mm-hmm. yeah. yeah sort of like they were sort of like aligned as one being for the first time Hmm. yeah true because they both fucking hate that guy <laughs> <laughs> well that guy attacked their friends yeah because that guy mm-hmm. cut off Lanfan's arm, and then that guy killed all of Greed's friends, mm-hmm. original OG Greed's friends, mm-hmm. and also tried to, uh, well, brought brought Greed back to Father, who then suppressed his memories. So mm-hmm. he was instrumental in that as well. Yeah. yeah. I also like how, like, while Ling's yelling at him and all the memories are flooding in, you get, like, a glimpse of Bradley from that scene, like, before he even, mm-hmm. like, it's there, so it's like you can see, like, kind of the lead up to him just... Like instinctively targeting, yeah, Bradley. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it had him in his like T-shirt when mm-hmm. he killed all the people in Devil's Nest. Yeah, <laughs> and then it flashed the other memory later. Mm-hmm. I do like that. Pride was like using his little foot shadows about yeah. to <laughs> try to help with the mm-hmm. fight, <laughs> but then I guess didn't need to in the end. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like that. Like, so he stabbed Wrath, stabbed Greed in the neck. That's what's shown in the memory. That's mm-hmm. how he like. I guess killed him or semi killed him that one time. Yeah. Um, but like he kind of tried the same move again and Ling, like Greed Ling used his shield in time. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's a kind of like maybe because Ling is there, maybe he's gotten stronger or whatever. I don't know. Better able to react. I don't know. I don't know what's implied by that. I just think it's interesting. Mm-hmm. He attacked, mm-hmm. he attacked Greed in the same place twice and Greed blocked him the second time. Yeah. So. Yes. Yeah. I think it's the like, he now has memories of two people fighting Wrath in the past. He's mm. like able to learn from both of those fights. Mm, maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe just because Ling is his friend and it's the power of friendship. Yes. <laughs> Question mark. <laughs> Ra- uh, Greed is like, I'm so alone. But it's like, but you still have Ling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and Ling is like, how about you join those guys? Or whatever. Mm-hmm. After... Yeah, the I thought the uh, the fight with Wrath is pretty cool. I don't know. Yeah, I mean it's cool that he also was able to get away, and he like yeah. broke the yes. sword with his shield and stuff too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's very uh, very dynamic for you know just a series of still images. The fight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. I wonder what like what conversation are they gonna have after that in the Fear's <laughs> house? Like, why do you call you Wrath? 
What did he mean? <laughs> what did you mean? <laughs> <laughs> or he'll just be like, that was a crazy person. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, he talked to him like. Yeah, he, they like, act like they knew, knew each other. Yeah, that's why. I, just, yeah. I mean, maybe he'd be, he'll be able to explain it. Or maybe he would be able to explain it. Maybe Wrath would be able to explain it all away. But it definitely is suspicious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. The Chimeras and Ed find, um, like, uh, Heinkel and Darius find, with Ed, find Ling, or, like, Ling find, comes to the house when they're there, but I like how Ed was like, I know exactly where my brother will be, and then he wasn't there, which is also hilarious. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. They're like, he's not here at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but Ling, Ling gave them some vital information, which is that the portal will open on the Day of Reckoning. And he also said maybe Ed now will be able to jump in and get their bodies back. Yep. I like that Greed or Greed and Ling also. Greed is like, oh, you want to be like ruler of Sheen? Why not rule the entire world? Yeah. It's like, all right. Mm-hmm. I guess we'll see what happens with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then Ed, of course, agrees to be Greed's henchman. So. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And volunteers Darius and Heinkel for it. Yeah, they were voluntold, not yes. <laughs> they didn't volunteer. <laughs> I enjoyed the fight, the Armstrong fight. Mm-hmm. Which is also mm-hmm. the most important, second most important fight of this chap, these chapters, yes. I guess. <laughs> yeah, I love. Yeah, they do love how the like uh, Armstrong parents and like Catherine are just fi- like packing up in the background. Like, where do you want to go? Oh, let's go to Sheen. Mm-hmm. Where should we bring them? <laughs> yeah. I, we should bring them an elephant. Ha ha ha! Yeah. And then, like, like while they're while Olivier and, and Alex are fighting. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. so good. Like how Olivier has a little Armstrong sparkle while she's at home. Yes. <laughs> when, they, when they're all meeting at the first panel where they're talking to each other, it's like Olivier sparkling, the dad sparkling, and like all of them are sparkling. It's really funny. <laughs> they all sparkle. It's a family train. <laughs> so did the um, flower lady. Did yeah. Do you have a sparkly curly cue too? <laughs> I think so. She definitely had the yeah. curly cue. I'm pretty sure she sparkled too. Of course. <laughs> Even being loyal to the Armstrong family gives you the sparkle powers. <laughs> yeah, apparently. <laughs> I like that Alex Armstrong is like onto Olivier's deal because mm-hmm. at the at Central last time he was like, didn't he make a comment? He made a comment to her on the side when they when they were fighting in Central. I forget mm-hmm. uh, what it was about. What was it about? Was it just to go see them? No, no, no. He said something about. Oh, he he said like, didn't you? Won't the like the blood spilled there then be on the circle or whatever when he they were talking about uh, oh, yeah. the fight at Briggs. Mm-hmm. And she was like, whatever. And then, uh, mm. but this time he was like, is it because of what you saw that you sent Father and the others abroad so that they couldn't be made hostages? And she's like, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I kind of like that he kind of sees through what she's doing but yeah i like how like immediately after seeing the like horrific doll army she just goes home and is like you guys should get out of the country (laughs) i think you need to retire and take a trip yeah and they're like great idea (laughs) he's like but i was gonna make alex head of the family and she's like have him fight me (laughs) you know (laughs) (laughs) but alex comes home and he's just and the father's just like oh good timing fight your sister Fight your sister (laughs) what and then it's like oh she said that i should retire huh that was right after the dad's like, you just come home and that's the first thing you yeah. say to me. Uh, and then his d- Alex comes home and the first thing he's like, oh, let's go fight your sister. Yeah. yeah. But I do like that. <laughs> Not even a high. But then, but then it's yeah. like, what a rude thing to say. And then he rips off his shirt immediately. Yeah. So. <laughs> I think yeah. Olivia knew what to do to instigate all of this. Yeah. So. 
It obviously wasn't that difficult. Just the most dramatic family. <laughs> yeah, I like father leaving. Catherine's like, bye, good luck. <laughs> like, uh <-huh. laughs> leaning in the door. <laughs> just how much damage is done to the house afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> well, they got money. They'll fix it. Yeah. They'll give everybody something to do while the, the rest of the Armstrong family is gone, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so a little tradition that me and my brother have is you when there's to chores the to do... I mean <laughs> Well, no, well, well, usually it's Super Smash, but well, sometimes <laughs> we'll play other games. And Loser's the one that does the chores. Nice. So I just, my instinct is, oh, Alex lost. He's the one cleaning up, obviously. <laughs> yeah, obviously. I think that's a fair, um, a fair way to decide who does chores. Mm -hmm. Are you usually the winner? Or is your brother really good at Smash, too? It, it... Very usually it's like one person will win a lot in a row, like for like a couple of weeks, and then it'll switch, and then it'll switch mm -hmm. back. So usually so someone is consistent matched. for a while, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like that. The last thing that I want to talk about is uh, the message, the final message that gets passed around. Yes. I think that's the only thing we have left to talk about, probably at this point. Pretty much. Yeah. I like how they got sent Izumi, and then Izumi got caught. It brigs <laughs> and it was like, oh, mm -hmm. you guys, you're the ones they told me to tell the message to. Yeah, <laughs> and yes. yeah, Rebecca is sent questionably by Grumman, but yeah. I enjoyed the scene with Rebecca and Riza. It was really funny. Mm -hmm. yes, <laughs> I like her being like, "Find me a good man," and she's like, "Here." Yeah, <laughs> with Black Ayate. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> it's good that Riza has uh, other friends. <laughs> yeah, you mean who yeah. aren't dumb like Roy? I mean, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, it seems like they all have their other military connections. Like, they, mm -hmm. they did talk about not all the ones who were just being used for code, but the other people that they talked about who were the real people that they yeah. had connections with. <laughs> mm -hmm. But yeah, Rebecca was mentioned in that part, and then now she's here. So yeah. now she had this meeting with her, so that was cute. Yeah. She also showed, showed up in the um, the side story I couldn't find for you guys, where um, to where it talks about, like, Winry deciding to pierce her ears after seeing Risa's and Risa deciding to grow her hair out after seeing Winry. Oh. But yeah, like Rebecca's the friend who's like, why'd you grow your hair out? And that side story. Oh, so. mm -hmm. I see. Just a nice little continuity thing. That's cute. Mm -hmm. But I guess the note says, the message was, at, after the year's end, when the next season comes, on the promise day, the North and the East will make their move. What does it mean? <laughs> it means... On the promise day, they'll make their move? <sighs> okay good enough yeah. i was gonna say the whole thing but i guess there's no point i like everyone looking all determined at the end yeah it's yeah. exciting Promise it's definitely to. exciting mm -hmm. it's happening mace going back to central with her little homunculus in a jar yes <laughs> <laughs> the others are all getting ready i like how they are they're being super like covert now about going and visiting each other to pass on messages mm -hmm. and stuff so mm -hmm. yeah See Scar and Marco well, okay, so walking that's... through some indeterminate weather. <laughs> yeah, I mm -hmm. don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, I I realized that Scar didn't arrive with them in Lior. Mm -hmm. We didn't talk about that mm -hmm. last time, but yeah. I was like, oh yeah, I can't. I yeah, guess Scar they are here. Peeled off from the group. They split off. <laughs> seems like because it was just Gerso yeah. and Zampano yeah. and Yoki and Winry now who yep. made it to Lior. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, I guess they went somewhere else. Mm -hmm. I didn't even think about that last yeah. time. I guess we'll see what happens later. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
And there's like a panel of uh, Alex just sparkling with his shirt off. <laughs> He's preparing <laughs> for the for the promised day. Yeah, of course. He's working out. He's working all his muscles. He's gonna fight with all of his muscles, like he said earlier. <laughs> I don't have anything that I wanted to talk about this time. I had ready. one small thing, mm-hmm. um, which was when Riza entered the the hospital with Havoc. I feel like it's more suspicious to for for Mustang to hide <laughs> than. For him to be like, oh, uh, hey, yeah. what a coincidence, right? Like, if you were watching that, wouldn't you be like, that's suspicious? I don't right? know. Yeah, I don't know exactly in what way they're being surveilled, so. Yeah. Yeah, from the way they talk, it feels like they might worry about being, like, heard rather than seen. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. So. Well, they definitely don't want anybody to overhear anything that they're saying. Yeah. That's why they, it's yeah. So, that's why they passed a note, mm-hmm. you know, instead of whispering to each other. Like yeah, broken yeah. telephone. <laughs> Gets to Roy and he's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> the promised day purple monkey dishwasher? It's like the llama's day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we'll see what happens. Sounds good. Promised day. It's coming. Promised day. <laughs> Look to the skies. <laughs> Keep your eyes on the skies. <laughs> Apparently. That's what Hohenheim I guess says. I believe him. Yeah. I see, well, he you know, seems to know everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I I mean, I, I'm choosing to interpret that as that there's some kind of specific day, and there's some kind of specific celestial, like, yeah, alignment of some kind. Mm-hmm. Just like in Hercules. I was just about to say that. <laughs> no, no, stop. You can't make the same jokes as me or in references as me. That's not acceptable. <laughs> well, in the original transmutation circle, like the one that was at Xerxes, there's like the sun, the lion swallows the sun. So mm-hmm. I assume it has something to do with that. And plus with Hohenheim's, uh, Hohenheim's warning about mm-hmm. looking looking at the skies. So mm-hmm. plus it's all esoteric bullshit, so it all makes sense, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> that they would be looking at looking for some kind of specific time. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The planets align ever so nicely. Ever so nicely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then they'll open the Titans' prison under the yeah. ocean. <laughs> I haven't yeah, seen Hercules in a long time. Ends. That's what happened, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. That's what happens in the story. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Turned out it was all ancient Greece in the end. Yes, <laughs> and not a like a, a rest of like Western Europe an al- analog like <laughs> like yeah, we thought. It's like, it's like much like <laughs> much like most things, it was all Zeus's fault. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, father kind of looks like a representation of Zeus. So mm-hmm. he's wearing robes and stuff. Yeah, and so on a weird throne, gold hair. Yeah, yeah, it all <laughs> makes sense. Okay, good. What are we going to read next time, I guess, if there's nothing else to say this time? <laughs> next time, I guess, we are going to read 84 <laughs> and 85. That's good. Oh. <laughs> I thought you were going to say we're going to watch Hercules. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> next episode, you'll start with Long Ago. Yes. In the land of ancient Greece. <laughs> you go, girls. <laughs> We are the muses <laughs> and proclaimers of heroes. Heroes like Hercules. Honey, you mean Huncules. <laughs> oh, it's back when the earth was new. That's how it starts. I yes. got it. I got there. <laughs> so we won't be watching Hercules because Ellen's just going to recite the whole movie. Yep. <laughs> My favorite song from Hercules is uh, the like um, the song that Phil sings, that Dan DeVito sings. Going <laughs> mm. to make a man out of you? <laughs> no. Hold on. Hold on. I got this. 
It's the same song, but a different movie. <laughs> yes. But sung by Debbie Dewey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Instead of Tony Osmond. <laughs> what is the song it's called? It's the, uh... It's I'm Down it's to like One Last, last hope, hope or something. But I hope it's you. <laughs> Though, kid, you're not exactly a dream come true. I trained enough turkeys who never came through. You're my one last hope, so you'll have to do. Okay. So, yeah, join us next time for Hercules. I mean, Hercules chapters podcast. 84 and 85. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we'll see you then. Yep, thank you all for listening. Bye. 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 We met our quota of musicals and Disney songs yeah, all at the end once there. per episode. <laughs>
hand the controller back and forth on different levels. Mm-hmm. And I was playing that level, and I got to the room with the piano, and I like, opened it, and I like stopped dead. I was like, something used to scare me in this room. Like I couldn't remember <laughs> what it was, but I remember there was like an instinctual like memory of being terrified in that room. Mm-hmm. And then I like got close to the piano and started attacking. I was like, oh, that was it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like the trauma came flooding back, but not the whole memory. <laughs> You're like, why am I sweating? <laughs>